everybody. Uh, we come towards the end of our, our marathon, a three-year marathon, where we've been working through this wonderful book of Acts. So before we look at it further together, uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderfully encouraging uh, historical narrative uh, which records for us the growth and the spread of the gospel. Uh, so we thank you for what it tells us about what happened in history and how you continue to work uh, throughout history to fulfill your wonderful purposes, to draw all people to yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we've been seeing in previous weeks, of course, that the Apostle Paul is now being taken under armed guard to Rome. Uh, he realizes he's not going to get any justice at the hands of the Roman governors, uh, and certainly not at the hands of the, Roman, uh, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin. And so he has appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar he is now going under armed escort. Uh, it's 60 AD, uh, and Paul, if you recall, uh, has had this unscheduled three-month winter holiday in Malta. Uh, his ship was caught up in a huge storm, and he was shipwrecked on the island. And so he has had to sojourn in uh, Malta for three months, uh, waiting out that winter period when you could not sail. Uh, now it's probably February uh, in AD 60, and the favorable sailing season has returned. And with that, uh, Paul's journey resumes. And we can see here on the map, uh, they set off from Malta, and the southerly winds come in, carrying them north, they track up uh, between the boot of Italy and Sicily and then eventually end up at Putoeli, um, or should I say Putoeli in the Italian. There we go. Uh, so uh, it would be, interestingly, just 19 years, because uh, this is AD 60, AD 79, uh, that's when, of course, Vesuvius erupts and uh, Pompeii is obliterated uh, along with Herculeum uh, in this Naples basin. So it's just 19 years before that. Uh, uh, catastrophe which we know about from historical records. So they land at uh, Putuelli, and all that now remains is for them to track over land. And it's probably about 210 kilometers uh, by road uh, to Rome, that great city. Uh, three years earlier, in his letter to the Romans, Paul had asked them, the Christians in Rome, to pray. And he asked them to pray that he would be able to visit them so that it could be mutually encouraged. Uh, Romans 15, 31 again. Uh, Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Jerusalem, in Judea, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. And now we're seeing these prayers have been answered, although not in the way that he or they would have expected. Uh, they come out to welcome Paul, uh, but he is welcomed as an imperial prisoner. So, uh, looking again at the map, uh, members of the church in Rome travel probably about 70 kilometers out to Apil Forum and the three taverns uh, to meet him and to greet him, uh, verse 15. Uh, the brothers there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. So... He's prayed for that they can be mutually encouraged, and here they are, being mutually encouraged by his brothers and sisters in Christ from Rome. Uh, unbeknownst to them at that time, uh, this period of encouragement uh, would continue for two further years during Paul's time in Rome. 
So, uh, Paul arrives in the great city of Rome. Uh, He's placed under house arrest with a guard in residence, but he is given freedom. Uh, He can meet people. And so he wastes no time in reaching out to the local Jewish community. Uh, Initially, he meets with the Jewish leadership. Uh, They've not been prejudiced by the lies and the false accusations of the Jews in Judea. And they're genuinely open to listen to what Paul has to say. Look at verse 22. They say, but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Uh, There we get a glimpse again of Luke's reason for writing Acts. People everywhere are talking against this sect. Uh, He's writing, of course, to clarify what this sect is all about, and in fact that it is the good news. So, uh, a subsequent meeting is arranged uh, for Paul to meet the Jewish community, and a large number of Jews turn up. As he has done in previous times he's met Jewish communities, uh, he reasons with them from their scriptures, verse 23. Uh, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So, uh, Paul's burning ambition to proclaim the gospel in Rome starts to be fulfilled. Here he is, in Rome finally, proclaiming the gospel to this Jewish community. However, true to form, uh, the response of the Jews to Paul's message was rather mixed. Verse 24. Uh, Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Uh, Such a response of disbelief uh, leaves certain questions hanging in the air. Uh, Is this teaching just out of a Jewish sect, which attracts some Jews but not others? Or is it as it claims to be, is it truly the good news of the kingdom of God? Uh, Does this mixed response call into question whether this movement really is the fulfillment of all hopes of Judaism? Well, not only did Paul explain the gospel message, but he also then explained the gospel resistance. He doesn't leave these questions uh, unanswered. He addresses them. And he says this, basically. The problem is not with the message, but with the hearts of the hearers. Uh, The problem is not a new problem. Of course, we know it has dogged Israel throughout her history. And Paul now quotes to them the prophet Isaiah, which was written 800 years earlier. Verse 25. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say... You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Uh, If you were here two weeks ago, Uh, we were looking at Paul's testimony to Festus and King Agrippa. And we saw, as part of what he said there, that true conversion starts with people spiritually seeing. And here now we see that one of the root causes of people being unable to spiritually see. Verse 27 says, they have closed 
their eyes. There is a willful suppression of the truth. There is a refusal to respond rightly. And verse 27 says that as a result, their hearts have become calloused, hardened. Their hearts become desensitized to the truth that they hear. Uh, This is a truth that has proven true uh, throughout the ages since. Uh, It is hazardous to resist responding rightly to the truth of God's Word. To resist responding rightly to the truth of God's Word requires an act of the will, a willful suppression of the truth. And with every act of resistance, the voice of God's Spirit becomes fainter and fainter and fainter. And the heart becomes harder and harder and harder. How dangerous it is, therefore, when people say, "Uh, I'll look into this Christianity thing when I'm older, when I'm retired, when I've got more time. For, of course, by that point, their hearts may well be like flint. And even then, maybe the will to investigate Christianity may have completely dissipated. It is dangerous to resist the truth of Scripture. So, uh, as we saw in Romans chapter 11, uh, Jewish loss leads to Gentile gain. And as the Jews refuse to listen to the message of salvation, uh, the Gentiles are then given the opportunity themselves to listen. And indeed, they do listen. Uh, Look at verse 28. Paul has these concluding words for the Jews. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will. Listen. Uh, And that is what Paul now does. And for the next two years, uh, Paul remains under house arrest, but is granted this amazing freedom to proclaim the gospel openly. Uh, Anyone who wants to visit him can, and he can speak freely. Uh, Clearly, uh, it gives a window on the attitude of the Roman government at the time to Christianity. Uh, At the time, the Roman government does not see it as a threat to the empire or the Roman way of life. Look at verse 30. Uh, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Uh, Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So in our remaining time together this morning, uh, let's reflect on uh, how these hardships which Paul faced enhanced his ministry. Because, of course, this concludes the book of Acts. And what we've seen is this. Under God's providential hand, uh, God's purposes have prevailed. Uh, Way back in Acts chapter 23, after Paul had testified before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, uh, the risen Christ assures Paul of this, Acts 23 verse 11. Take courage, for as you have testified about me at Jerusalem you must also bear witness at Rome. And so, uh, it's no surprise that as the curtain falls on the book of Acts, there is Paul proclaiming the gospel boldly and without hindrance in Rome. Uh, What is a surprise is that he is a prisoner as he does so. Uh, What is the major theme of Acts? It has to be this. 
God's unstoppable salvation purposes. Uh, his message and his messenger have overcome every human and natural obstacle. Uh, God is sovereign over history. He providentially rules. And he achieves his goals, but sometimes through the most unexpected means. Even the fact that Paul was a prisoner was used by God to enhance his ministry. It's now been almost five years since the Roman commander first rescued Paul from the angry mob in Jerusalem in the temple, if you remember. And during those five years, uh, Paul has been denied justice and freedom. And it would be easy for Paul to become frustrated. Uh, Such restrictions. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? And yet with hindsight, we can now see that God has used Paul's hardship to enhance his ministry. And there are three ways in particular which I think we can see that that has been the case. Uh, Paul's ministry was enriched through his hardship, it was expanded through his hardship, and it was authenticated through his hardship. So firstly, uh, Paul's ministry was enriched through his hardship. During his two-year Rome imprisonment, Uh, Paul is known to have written what is now referred to as his prison letters. Uh, We read them in our New Testament. Uh, The letter to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, uh, the Philippians, and Philemon. Uh, Those four letters of Paul were written whilst he was a prisoner in Rome under house arrest. And when you read those prison letters, uh, there is something distinctive and special about them. They resonate with a delight in God's Christ's supremacy and his sovereignty. Uh, the person and work of Christ in these letters are set in cosmic proportions. And as a result, uh, Paul's prison letters breathe this atmosphere of joy, of peace, of patience, and contentment. But where do those things come from? They are rooted in Paul's unwavering belief in the sovereignty of God. Look at Philippians 4, verse 12, for example. He says this, In prison, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. Little heads up, next year, uh, we're going to study together one of Paul's prison letters. And surely it was through this very confinement that Paul's eyes were opened to the supremacy of Christ. Although Paul was awaiting the emperor's pleasure, he knew that the supreme authority to whom he bowed was not Lord Caesar, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And he could now see how Christ was outworking his purpose in ways that Paul could never have foreseen. Which leads to the second way in which hardship enhanced Paul's ministry. Because Paul's ministry was also expanded through his five-year ordeal. You see, as a result of his arrest and his legal trials, uh, Paul had access to levels of society that he would never otherwise have reached. 
Think about it. To whom does he have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel? Firstly, to a Roman centurion and the Roman guards when he's talking to the Jews in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, Secondly, to Roman governors, uh, to Felix, to Festus, uh, to a Jewish king, King Agrippa, and even to Caesar himself. Look at Philippians 1 verse 12. It says this, Again, Paul writing from his prison. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The whole of Caesar's palace guard have heard the gospel. And the gospel has even reached Caesar's household. Philippians 4, verse 22. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. There are now Christians in Caesar's household. How amazing is that? Who would have ever guessed? Uh, Did Paul ever actually present his case to Caesar? Did he ever actually stand before the great and notorious Emperor Nero and proclaim the gospel? Well, there is no categoric statement that Caesar personally heard Paul's case, although there is a hint of it elsewhere in the New Testament. But Acts itself remains silent on it. But the strongest argument for concluding that Paul did indeed stand before Nero lies back in chapter 27 of Acts. Because there... God had said that he would. And therefore, it's reasonable to assume that he did. If you recall, it was whilst on the storm-ravaged ship that the angels had told Paul this in Acts 27, verse 24. Do not be afraid, Paul, because you must stand trial before Caesar. So there we have it, at the word of God. And God's word carries weight It can be trusted. And when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans uh, three years earlier, he had articulated his wish to visit Rome and to proclaim the gospel. But surely, 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 uh, never in his wildest dreams would three years earlier Paul have imagined that he would actually proclaim the gospel to Nero himself. And so, uh, Paul's five-year ordeal, firstly, enriched his ministry, secondly, expanded his ministry, and thirdly, it authenticated his ministry. Uh, We know, don't we, that nothing proves the sincerity of somebody's beliefs more like their willingness to suffer for them. And such was the case with Paul. Paul was hated and hounded by many Jews. Why? Because of the message he brought. And the message he brought was this. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is universal. The reason Paul suffered is this. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. In his letter to the Ephesians, another of his his prison letters, he refers to himself as this. Ephesians 3 verse 1, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake 
of you Gentiles. Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you, you Gentiles. There's the reason Paul is suffering. He's suffering for the Gentiles. He's suffering for what he refers to as the mystery of God, which has now been revealed to him and which he is proclaiming. In Ephesians 3, he reveals what that mystery is. Ephesians 3, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises in Christ Jesus. How do you think the Jews felt about that? Well, many of them were deeply unhappy. What? These Gentiles sharing together in our precious promises dating back to Abraham, them... But yes, that is what Paul is saying. The Gentiles are equal heirs to the promises God made to us. And so many Jews rejected it. And many Jews therefore persecuted Paul relentlessly. And as a result, Paul suffered. And as a result, Paul is now in prison in Rome, standing trial. But the point is this. Ironically... Paul's suffering for his message actually served to authenticate his message. Uh, One thing we see is that Paul's suffering for Christ encouraged the Christians in Rome to also themselves stand tall for Christ. Again, we get a glimpse of this in in Philippians uh, chapter 1 verse 14. Paul says this, uh, Because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Because of my chains, he's saying. In some way, Paul's suffering has authenticated his message. And it's emboldened other Christians in Rome to say, I'm going to stand up for Christ too. And his suffering for Christ also gave him the basis to then say to other Christians, come on guys, live out a life worthy of of being a follower of Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 1, he says this, As a prisoner to the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner of the Lord, I'm urging you. You also live a life worthy of the calling you've received as Christians. And so Paul's suffering also authenticated his ministry. Let's think about briefly how this applies to us today. Is it not in times of hardship that Christ particularly works in us and through us? Uh, Is it not the case that times of hardship can enrich us and expand and authenticate our ministry as followers of Jesus? Uh, As we suffer but trust, other people look on. And they notice the outworking of our confidence in God. Like Paul, we are confident that God rules. He is sovereign over our lives and over history. And when other people look on, they see the outworking of that in our lives and the way we respond. And they look on and they say this, How can that person be so joyful, so peaceful, so patient, so content, given what is happening. 
And those around us may well note, wow, that person's faith in Christ, it's strong enough to even carry them through this incredible tragedy they have faced. If that had been me, I'd have thrown in a towel a long time ago with this Christianity lark. Maybe it's something worth looking into. So times of hardship do enrich our ministry. They enhance our ministry, and they authenticate our ministry to others. So, uh, Paul demonstrated <clears throat> this quiet confidence in God's sovereign rule over his life and over his ministry. It's interesting to ask uh, in our remaining couple of minutes, what happened to Paul at the end of that two years' imprisonment in Rome? Uh, was he released? Uh, well, Acts does not tell us. But Paul's prison letters resound with confidence that his time to die has not yet come. Uh, Paul's prison letters exude a certainty that he will indeed be delivered. Look at Philippians 1, uh, verse 19. He says this, For I know that through your prayers, speaking about the Christians in Philippi, and the help given me by the Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 22, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Uh, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Such confidence. He doesn't think that his end will come at this point. Uh, Paul's imprisonment in Rome was from 60 to 62 AD. And yet there are several New Testament letters of Paul which have been dated as later than that. Uh, 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And something that there is a reference in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to that era of Paul's imprisonment, uh, also to his trial before Caesar and his subsequent release. In 2 Timothy 4, uh, Paul refers to somebody in terms of using the title a lion, and it may well be that that is a reference to Nero, the emperor Nero himself. Look at 2 Timothy 4 verse 16. Probably well looking back to that time, those two years in Rome. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. It's not conclusive, but it may well be. Uh, he is referring to the lion of Nero himself. So it seems certain that Paul was subsequently released. Uh, did he ever travel to Spain as he hoped to, uh, and as he wrote about in his letter to the Romans? Uh, we may never know. Uh, the early church fathers indicated that Paul indeed undertook a fourth missionary journey after his release, uh, which may well have included Spain. Uh, the early church fathers also point to Paul being rearrested and executed in Rome 
uh, sometime before the end of Nero's reign in 68 AD. And it's thought that, therefore, 2 Timothy was written during Paul's second term of imprisonment in Rome. And when we read 2 Timothy, the confidence of release has now gone. But his confidence in God's eternal sovereign rule over him, and indeed Paul's eternal destiny, burns ever brighter. Look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. A different tone. A tone that his time has come to depart, but a tone where he is confident of his eternal destiny. And so, may we also run the race of life as Paul did, proclaiming the gospel boldly and unhindered, and confident in God's sovereign rule over our lives and over our ministry, as indeed we wait for his appearing. Let me pray. Lord God, uh, thank you for this wonderful book of Acts and indeed all the other letters in the New Testament which complement it and which give depth and understanding to uh, Paul's situation in Rome and his confidence in God's, your sovereignty, uh, your rule over history, your unstoppable purposes which you work out through him and in him. May we too have that same confidence and may it burn bright in our hearts and indeed in our lives. Uh, May we live out... uh, a confidence in your supreme sovereignty over our lives, which expresses itself, we pray, in patience, joy, patience, and contentment in every situation. May we, like Paul, grow in those Christ-like traits as we rest increasingly secure in your sovereign rule over our lives. To your glory we pray this. Amen.